You're listening to Education Experts with EDX Education. Education is evolving. Join Heather Welch from EDX Education chatting with teachers, psychologists, parents, authors, creatives and other talented experts to keep up with the trends and what's happening from around the globe. This podcast series from EDX Education discusses home learning, school readiness, being creatives, changing in education, discussing what's next, hands-on learning, or as we like to say, learning through play. Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education, and today we're in conversation with Jill Carter, a psychotherapist and founder of Samplay Creative Arts and Trauma Training. We all love to play, and to me, play sounds like a lot of fun. However, for Jill, it's a lot more than just fun. Jill Carter is a pioneer of integrative and trauma-informed sample and art. Her courses integrate traditional talking therapies with creative media, such as sample, art, meditation, music, and movement. Sounds like lots of fun, Jill. Today, we're going to chat with Jill about the benefits of sample, creative arts, and what it means, why it's important, and her adventure in pioneering this form of therapy. Welcome, Jill. Welcome. It's nice to meet you, Heather. It's so lovely to have you join us today, Jill. Can I ask you to introduce your passion for sandplay and creative arts? Sure. I mean, I first trained as a talking therapist with um, adults, which kind of gets you so far. But I was really interested in working with children, even from when I first started working as a therapist 20 years ago. So I did a child training. And as part of that child training, I did some sand play and art, and my eyes were just open to how wonderful play can be as a therapy. It's really interesting. I mean, I suppose this is how how you founded sand play creative arts, but what's one of your first experiences with working with children? The, the, the lady who introduced sand play therapy to the UK, Margaret Lonefeld, says the same thing. She was in the, working in the 1930s, that sand play is brought to us by children. It's not something that we do to children. And a lot of therapy, traditional therapy, is us as the therapist doing something to the client. Sand play is completely different. I was working with a five-year-old who had been abducted by his father and um, he wouldn't he wouldn't talk about anything but he wanted to play in the sand so I had a box of sand in the room which had toys and um, Batman and Superman and um, things in it and he would run past me when he got into the, when he knew it was his time to come in go straight to the box and uh, Superman and Batman would have a fight bash bish bash bosh and then everybody would die, okay? And oh. I was a bit like, okay. Um, but I just trusted my instinct and I trusted him. And then he'd say, he'd say, I'd see you next week. And then he'd come in again, same thing, rush past me, a bish bash boss, um, Superman, Batman, everybody dead. Um, see you next week. And this went on for about 10 or 12 sessions. And I was beginning to doubt myself after that. But after about 15 sessions, Batman and Superman would survive, right? Aww. They started the, the play, they started to survive. And then they started to talk to each other. And the little boy started talking as Batman to Superman. And I didn't realize what was going on. And eventually, after about 20 sessions, he came in and he just drew a, a spiral in the sand. And he said, I don't need to come here anymore. Um, and his behavior in the, in the school, which had been the cause for concern, had just 
miraculously got better. And I went away thinking, what on earth happened there? Because I, all I'd done was witness this little boy playing. I it didn't know what environment. Yeah. I didn't realize at that time that um, play has so much magic to it. And just the act of being witnessed and being able to touch and feel uh, his way through his trauma was the healing thing. I didn't have to do anything at all. That's really interesting. So he used role play to develop socially and emotionally through play with, and it was all, you know, realistically you're facilitating the way that he came and he felt really, I suppose he felt he could express himself in this way without in a safe environment in order to, through sand play. So after you had this experience, this first member experience of the child, is that when you founded the sand play creative arts and trauma training courses? When I first started working for somebody else doing these, these kind of courses, um, doing sand play and then art for uh, another company. But five years ago, I decided to go out on my own. So that's when Jill Carter sand play training was born. And uh, it's just gone from strength to strength, really. I think the time is right now for people to take play seriously. You know, I think that one of the problems when I started doing this, which is 15 years ago, is sensory and somatic play was just not taken seriously by the mental health professions. There are still pockets of it, of um, cams and things that don't take that kind of play seriously. But play is the language of children. And we need to respect that and learn from that. Something that we should all do. But especially, I suppose the other thing is, is, you know, you know, sand play would be really, would be used a lot with children, with individuals with additional needs like autism that need, that either need the stimulation or they can, they can verbally, you know, non-verbal or verbal cues, they can talk and they can relate to people through sand play. Is this an area that you've um, looked at? Yeah, absolutely. We get a lot of people on my courses who work with kids who are autistic. And I think it's really good for anybody who struggles with conventional speech, because there's a lot of research that shows that touch and connection to, to something sensory like sand or clay brings together the feeling and thinking parts of the brain. And it also helps to regulate us so that we can um, sit still and we can concentrate. And um, you can see quite a lot of progress with autistic kids really quickly using sand play and art. Is that because the senses are stimuli the senses or why would that be more for children with um, autism? Because it's a way of them finding a language for themselves, which is not, classrooms are very noisy places, you know, and they are often kind of left behind and in large numbers of kids. And this, this kind of touch and one-to-one -one attention is often all that, we re that they really need. So just to be able to actually be, I suppose they, they get fixated. I mean, it depends on uh, individuals with autism have, uh, you know, the, the scale is so large. I mean, so, so broad. So it depends on where they sit on the scale as well. Do you ever find that some don't like the touch and don't like their senses? Yes, the absolutely. Some, some kids won't, won't touch sand. And if mm. that, and if, if that's the case, cause the, uh, that's absolutely fine. We just do something else with them. It's always about offering people, options and if they don't like touching sand they can do something else um, you so my, like my water yeah. you know maybe yeah water it I, my room always has water in it my room always has paint in it um it mm. also has a has a quite like a quiet corner um where they can just sit and read 
it always um, staggers me the number of kids who haven't had somebody who just sit and will sit with them, you know, and sometimes that's all that they really need an adult that they feel is on their side. It's time. It's modern day constraints, isn't it? I mean, I know as a as a mum myself that sometimes you look at your schedules and think, and that's one thing that I must say that the pandemic did bring home to us is that we are too busy in our lives and we do need to just stop and slow down at times. I don't know if you had this same experience, but I just thought of everything we do in our lives. We're working full time kids, then the kids are at school, then they're doing extra cricket activity, bring them home. And you actually at the end of it, it was quite nice to have the time with them. Yeah. I mean, there were lots of negatives as well, but I'm trying to think of the positives. That were there. <laughs> and before you know where you are, you're at the age where I am, which where my kids are adults and have left home. And I, I, I you know, I, my, reg- my regrets would be around not just just not giving them serious downtime. And I think that's true of, of a lot of children that um, screens are taking too much time in our children's lives as they are in our own lives. And just downtime, just sitting with somebody and, and sitting in the sunshine in the garden or playing with a dog or, you know, these are all traditional elements of play that I, I worry that we're loose in touch with. The screen time is a hard one. I know too, that's been supercharged for my children because of online learning and everything in the last 12 months. And I think mm. that is a really tough one to and I just, you know, I know in our house, we regulate it quite a lot. So there's no screens in rooms. There's no screens at certain times. There's certain times per week. But it is a really hard one to regulate. One of my children, actually, this is interesting, loves messy play. Actually, they both love messy play. They love, they love sand. They love water. We do a lot of this at home. However, and their moods, their mood is they're energetic, they're calm, and they they get fixated on certain things, like whether it's pouring or making something or you know they just they love that feel and touch whereas if you put them on the screen I find oh the mood the negative mood getting them off yeah it's just, it becomes this constant battle so you know if you put me on both sides I'd always go play base but you know some reason they always want to go towards a really stimulating screen rather than yeah, yeah. So, there's an addictive nature to screens um, but you're, you're right to, you know, let them do things like pouring water. And kids will sometimes seem to do that for uh, too long. long. Yeah, a long time. But that's that's how we learn to regulate ourselves. You know, that's how we learn to regulate our emotions. That's how we learn to be in our bodies, by doing things repetitively. That's true. You know, we always do talk about the importance of play-based learning. This is something you've just touched on now for children. I'd love to know your opinion. You've sort of touched on it saying, you know, the benefits of play-based learning versus academic learning in early years and primary age children. Yeah. In the UK, we have the earliest start to school of any country in Europe, and Ooh. we have the worst, worst academic results at 11. So what does that tell you? more is not better. Um, no. I think that I think the systems that they have in mainland Europe, where and in America, where you, um, you, you start, you start in a more play based nursery goes on till about seven. I think that's what we need while our brains are growing, rather than just sitting learning off road. Imagination, Absolutely. imagination is the thing that gets squashed. And imagination is the thing that life is all about. 
It's funny, John, one of my sons, we grew up in Singapore and I remember he was probably three or maybe two and a half, three. And we had his report from the nursery and it came home like the preschool that he was in because I was working. And I always remember it said to him, you know, he doesn't know how to read yet. And we always thought, my husband and I looked at each other and thought, oh, my gosh, he is, I think he was just before he was three. We were shocked. Like, we, he, his language was delayed. So we were thinking he's not going to learn to read. The language isn't even there yet. It was one of those, but it was one of those things, the expectation was, well, why doesn't he? Do you not read and, you know, point it at, out him every day? And we just didn't. It's more of a play-based being outside, it was nice weather, being in the pool, like things like that. It wasn't wasn't important on the list for us. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's the right way to be. You know, people, uh, children's brains aren't properly formed enough until they're about five to be able to read. Right. And so when we're trying to get them to do it earlier, all we're doing is stressing them out and stressing ourselves out. So, you know, again, as a as an older mom, I would say, be compassionate to yourself and your chick and your kids, you know, play together, play together. You, you find something which is an equivalent of play, you know, and allow your kids to do the same. And we're, we're always such in, a rush, in such a rush to get them to grow up. And they, then when they grow up, you want them to come, be, to come yeah. back and be your babies again, <laughs> don't you? You can't you know, win. <laughs> you know, you're never going to win. Look, I suppose, Jill, have you found in the last two years that educators and caregivers are more interested with sound play, creative arts, just because of, you know, what's happened with children's mental health? And there's been a whole lot of, like, there's a lot of, you know, PSD. There's a whole lot of unhappy children. I know that CAMS is full, you know, yeah. waiting lists for all these external help for additional needs and children have come out with additional needs parents have become more I suppose more you know you used to just send them to school but now you were schooling with them you you sort of for some parents they're more involved in their schooling as well uh-huh I think what I've really seen is that schools are becoming aware that they have to be much more informed about trauma and school there's people who work in schools and parents obviously are just that much more stressed than they were before the pandemic so it's about just just about being gentle with everything that you do and allowing the child to grow emotionally because it's it's not been the easiest an easy time to be a little one you know to just allow them to to grow and to develop and to be emotionally safe in their bodies and a lot of that is just purely play-based it's interesting. I've had an experience recently and it's been my youngest and he's quite a cross. He can be quite cross, cross little boy. And we had him at this quite a good nursery. It was a good nursery. It had really good results, all the rest of it. You know, I think it's even an outstanding or whatever. They, it was the highest that they base. But they do do things like it's not integrative language. They do music, they have a specialist teacher, French, all this rest of it. And he would come home so stressed out every day. His behaviour would be through the roof. And it took me a long time to realise, actually, he actually doesn't need any of this. So then we've just taken him to a village school and he's really happy. It's been a really interesting experience for me because I know there's all these really fancy facilities that are absolutely amazing. And then you turn around and you have these amazing village communities that have teachers that are, you know, being trained in so much more and the diverse behaviour they handle better and it's been a really interesting experience um, recently for us as a family because it just calmed him down. He started drawing again, which is something he refused to do when he went right. to the nursery. Things like that. Whereas he was always, you know, I have um, 
uh, how can I put it? I've got Picasso all over my uh, house. So all over my house, Picasso has <laughs> gone over all the doors. And I always sort of look at something and think, oh, here we go again. But, you know, it is an expression for him. So which is always really interesting. But it was one of those things as a mother. And I know I'm a teacher as well. I don't know why I got pulled into the trap, but I saw this amazing facilities and thought, wow, this is so good. But he just was so stressed out. It was a really interesting experience. It didn't sit with him at all. I know. I work with children in an area that's got lots of very seriously good schools, as in seriously good academic schools. But I always judge them on how they are, how they are with the child's mental health. Because I think the worst thing you can do is put somebody in an academically very good school and, and that their soul kind of dies, you know. And art is an expression of the soul, right? So when your son is doing his drawing, he's expressing how he's feeling inside. And that's just as important as learning maths. Yeah, it's funny, but he just completely stopped Jill. Like he just wouldn't, he never brought anything home for a year. It did take me a long time to realise. And as a mother, I was thinking... It must be your behaviour, must be you. But actually, as soon as we took him out. <laughs> oh, bless. Mothers I, always think it's them. It's, a, it's, it's often not us. <laughs> no, I know. And then, I, and then you, I was reducing hours at work. You do all sorts of things and you, you try and And then eventually it was just taking him out. And then the change is amazing. So it's really interesting. But I mean, uh, let's, I want to quickly talk about the course and who should attend and, you know, what, what it actually entails. So, Jill, I know that you've been doing online, but now you're going back to... Yeah, we're back to face to face from September. It's our courses are aimed at people who are teachers, counselors, school counselors, and um, people who work in mental and edu- uh, mental health and education service. And it's a combination of learning support and nourishment. Okay, we teach people how to use sand play and art in their work, but also we give them lots of support and nourishment because it's been a really difficult time to be a therapist, and lots of us are on the point of burnout. Um, so it's just as important that we help people to look after themselves. And by doing that, you look after your clients. So and that's the, so. what benefits does it give to the everyday classroom teacher or education professional? It's about them taking time out to realise why children are acting the way that they are, right? That the naughty kid might actually have something going on and not yeah. to be triggered, not to be triggered by behavior and to be able to see it in the context of the child's, the, the system around the child, the child's home environment, and also to take some time out for themselves, just to do some painting or something or dancing or movement or whatever you like uh, for themselves so that they don't, they don't get so burnt out because then the whole cycle of reaction starts all over again. Yeah, it's very true, isn't it? We go in this vicious cycle. Um, do you ever get educational teachers, educational professionals, teachers, psychologists that come in and they say that they've been referred children that just have no triggers and that then they just, you know, you say the school would refer and say, well, there's no trigger, we don't know what's wrong, the child's just badly behaved. Or do you... Right. I, I think that kids don't really have problems, right? I think that children react to what's going on around them. So... My first question when I meet a child uh, or when I meet parents of the child is what's going on at home, what's changed? You know, um, sometimes it can be things like bereavement. If, if you've had a bereavement during COVID, it's very easy for the child's grief to get missed, okay? Because children grieve very differently in the way that we do. They will grieve sometimes and not others, and they'll appear to be all right a lot of the time. But then 
they'll be triggered by something at school. So it's about taking the whole system into account. A holistic view of the child. Yeah, so absolutely. Rather than just looking at the trigger points. Jill, so you still offer, what you're still offering is doing the courses and the, when do you know when, when when will the next one be? Because I know that you don't. You've, you have been doing them online. However, it's um, you've found it more effective not online. Is it how has it worked? Um, we've done them on Zoom basically, but we're going back to face to face in September. We have very small groups, only eight people, so there is an intimacy and a support there for people who come on our courses. And yeah, we're taking bookings now for September. So if you're interested, have a look at my website. Fantastic, Jill. And if anyone would like you to come and talk in there, would you do a talk in, um, say, for example, a um, what do you call it, like a PD or anything like that? Would that be something that you'd be interested in talking about, sand play therapy and the importance yeah, of abso- it? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a team of people who go out and talk in schools and in hospitals and in other environments like that about how after the pandemic to um, look after yourselves and look after the kids that you're responsible for. So, yeah, absolutely. We do lots of lots of trainings and julie if a parent or a caregiver wants to get in touch because they want actually some consultancy with children you're still or even adults it doesn't have to be children sorry individuals yeah, absolutely please not not just for not just for kids um yeah absolutely we we get I, I can put people in touch with them um, we've got a network of people all over the country and they're all organizations that you can go look at, at the, like the bacp which will give you most of it unfortunately is private work because the school systems are so overloaded but we can help you find somebody to support you and your child and jill the best way to contact you would be first point of call would be jillcartertraining.co.uk website that's it that's me that's the best place to find me and just to let everyone know there are some great podcasts there's some blogs there's a lot of information about sand sand play creative trauma art and actually if you want to know what is integrative therapy sand play and what's unique about jill's courses and what you'll gain please by all means head over to the the website jillcartertraining.co.uk first and then jill will be happy to have a chat with you i'm sure so thank you very much for joining us today jill no problem take care heather there are so many exciting developments happening right now in education edx education would love to hear from you so do get in touch or subscribe to our podcast which is available on apple podbean spotify TuneIn, and so many more This podcast series is brought to you by Heather Welch from EDX Education, as she'd like to say, let's create lifelong learners.